Welcome to the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast, where business leaders tell their stories and share their insights. All our guests have a personal connection with Nottingham Business School, so listen, learn, enjoy and share. Welcome to the latest episode of the NBS Business Leaders Podcast with me, Mike Sassy. Our guest today left school at the age of 15 to work in her dad's Nottingham fruit shop. During the next two decades, though, she forged a career distributing high-class beauty products across the country. Her light bulb moment, if that's what we can call it, came in the 1990s when she scraped together £7,000 to buy a palette of Saint-Tropez self-tanning creams. At that time, there was no market for self-tanning in Britain, but by 2005, she had built a hugely successful business that she sold for a reported £70 million. Since then, she has spent time, among other things, coaching future generations of young entrepreneurs and business leaders. I am, of course, talking about Judy Narker, MBE. Judy, welcome during lockdown three to the NBS Business Leaders Podcast. Well, hello, Mike, and lovely to be with you all. Great. So, at what point did you realise that um, that first palette of Saint-Tropez would be the start of something big? Well, quite frankly, I didn't. But I hoped that it would be, because I seem to have spent most of my working life working for other companies, other distributors. And this was the first... Uh, line that I'd truly been able to get my hands on and take full ownership for, which meant that once I imported it into the UK, I'd got the distribution rights for the UK and Europe. And, you know, the world was my oyster. I could do anything I wanted. There wasn't a market for self-tanning at that time. Is there a sense that you were in the right place at the right time? Well, Yes, I was. But I can tell you, everyone in the industry thought I was crazy. And in fact, most several distributors had turned it down. And oh, absolutely. And I how it came about. uh, I spoke to a guy who was a I think he called himself brand management and he, uh, he said, oh, I've got a, a self-tan duty if you're interested. And I said, I'm not bothered, Paul. It's seasonal. And, you know, I've got self-tans anyway, because I had one on my existing range. So he said, well, this one's aloe vera. So I said, well, if it's aloe vera, then I'd like to have a look at it. Because I'd only said to my partner the week before, as it happened, I'd quite like a little aloe vera range. So he said, OK, when I get the product, I'll give you a sample and let you try it. Try it. I said, great. He said, but I haven't got a UK distributor yet. So I said, that's all I would be interested in, Paul. I don't want to be an agent anymore because that's how I'd done all my other previous ranges. So he said, okay. Three months later, he called me again and said, Judy, can I have tickets for the Brighton Beauty exhibition? I said, yeah, great. He said, I've got that fake tan. He said, but I'm going to have to send it back. I can't find a UK distributor anywhere. (laughs) Well, I was livid. I was livid. You can imagine. And the reason he said that is because he was looking for a man to distribute it. Why was he looking for a man? Fake tan? Well, because, well, you may ask that, but so much in the past of the beauty industry has been owned by men, which is a strange thing. 
But anyway, um, that was really what he was looking for. And I said, well, I, I did tell you, Paul, that I wouldn't be an agent anymore. I wanted UK distributorship. So he said, OK, I'll, send, I'll give you a sample. And I so wanted it to fail. I looked at it and read all the instructions on the bottle and all my knowledge of self-tanning I threw out of the window. I looked at it and I thought, what is this? Because it was dark brown. <laughs> and I thought this, I slapped it on my legs and I thought this is going to look like hell in the morning. And I'm glad, you know, but it was fantastic. There was no streaks and it, it didn't have the terrible smell that they all had. So I phoned him up and I said, Paul, I'd really like this product. Um, it, I, you know, can you get it? Can you get it for me? He said, well, I'll see what I can do. Anyway, the next weekend I flew to Los Angeles to have a look at the, the lab and meet the people who would produce a product. And the rest is, can say is history. So, the, so they, you, they, 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 they flew you to Los Angeles. They must have No, moved. I flew myself. Well, you, pay, you paid your own effort. I did. Yes. Right. So you really did go out on a limb for it. <laughs> I did. But interestingly enough, this brand manager guy said, oh, well, I think we can get a few trips to Los Angeles out of it anyway, you know. And I thought, well, that's not fair. Either you're in it or not. I said, no, it's all right. No need for you to come. And I went with my partner. And so we both went, but we literally went to L.A. for the weekend. That's quite a haul. Were they talking you into it or were you talking them into it? How, how did that conversation go? To be honest, I think so long as we paid the money, they didn't really care, you know? I think that was the top and bottom. And so as I negotiated the contract, which is very important going forward, what I had was a very good contract. And I, I was saying, they said, well, you have to uh, take, I don't know, I think it was may have been £15,000 a year. I can't remember what the amount was. And I said, well, I can increase that at 40% a year. And my partner, Norman, kicked me under the table. And he said, oh, I think, you know, 8% would be better. Uh, but you see, because of my knowledge of the beauty business, I'd launched Australian Body Care and Declayor, so and Darfan. So I knew that I could increase at 40. But anyway, of course, he was very wise when he all we had to do was increase by 8%. And from the contracts I'd had before, I wanted a piggyback contract. So it was for five years on a trial basis, so long as we reach the, the levels and then ongoing, you see. Right. Because if you're not careful, you can build a, a brand for someone and then they say, well, thanks very much. We'll do it ourselves now. And, you, right. you know, you're stuffed. So it was, that, it was that negotiation at the front end which made all the difference? Yes, I believe so. Yes. Yeah, well, and and they were nice people. And that was why I said I cannot do business with someone I haven't eyeballed, which is very different, difficult in these times, the pandemic. But, you know, I do like to eye people, look them straight in the eye. And they were very honest people. So let me take you back before then. As I say, that was perhaps that was, the, you know, obviously that was an important moment in your career. That was the start of something big. But you'd left school at 15. And what did you think you'd do then? I wanted to go to university and, and do art. But my father said, oh, no, they all took drugs and it wasn't <laughs> the place for me. <laughs> I well. Yeah, I know. I think I might have liked it. But, hey, you know, who knows? Um, so that was, that was scuppered. So I did what was easy and I went to work in my father's business. Uh, he had several businesses, but I went to work in the fruit shop. 
And so I did learn a lot from my father. You know, I stood behind a shop counter from four years old. So I knew quite a lot without realising it. And I think that's the thing I would say to your students. You'd be surprised just how much you know. You see, the thing is, because I hadn't gone to university and I didn't have any qualifications, really all I could do was work for myself. I had to prove myself at every every level. Um, I left the fruit shop and I went on to do sales promotions, which and you were employed on a daily basis. So, of course, you had to prove that you were good at, at whatever you did. From there, I went to work for David Lieber, who had the first health club in Nottingham on King Street. I would have been 25 then, and uh, I, I really wasn't sure. And he said, well, look, just come and try it. He wanted a manager S. He said, come and try it. And we'll just try it for a month. And if you don't like it, then that's fair enough. You can walk away. And the fact was, he never asked me and I never asked him. And so three years later, I was still there. Um, but then it, it became obvious that I, that wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I, I went to work for my father again, but managed his restaurant in the evenings. And... Um, that you know was was great, but I used to run all day for all night for ten pounds a night, uh, and uh, and again you know I I built the rest the restaurant up till we were doing one hundred and forty covers a night, and the good food guide wrote wrote to my father and asked him to to be in it, but he was too busy; he didn't reply to the letter. So, <laughs> you know, it was so frustrating. I mean, my father would find any way not to make money, you know. <laughs> so I learned from that. But other things that you, you know now that you wish you'd known then? Yes. Um, I think you can't please all of the people all of the time. I think that was quite an important lesson, which was one from my father. And um, you could only do your best, whatever you do. And it's okay to make mistakes. Out of your mistakes are often come the very best things. And, and you, you know, your failures. You see, going back to what we're saying, what I would really like to have done was work full time for John Players on the sales promotion side. Because it was, you know, you got a car and, you know, let me tell you, uh, to be a John Player special girl was the best job you could have. It was a promotions girl, but but there were really nice girls that wanted a vicar's daughter, but you had to look sexy, you know. But it, it was, a, that was the whole idea of it. And, uh, but it was very glamorous and it was very well paid. And was the, and was the, were you independent then? Were you, were you a freelance as it were then? Or were you actually yeah, working? I was freelance. Because I was because I'm sorry, sorry to, to jump in. But, yeah, I worked but, through an eight. All right, but, you, eight. but that independence was always important for you, wasn't it? I think it was. And, I, you know, I didn't realise. And I remember David Lieber saying to me, well, you're very ambitious, Judy, um, because I opened one in London for him as well. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm, you know, but clearly I, I must be, yes. Independent, because I tell you what, I don't suffer fools lightly. And I don't like it when someone tells me to do something that I know is wrong. I'll perhaps do it, if, you know, if I have to, but I'm not happy. And that, for me, is a time to to move on, I think. But you you never tie, in all that time, you never tied yourself to one um, one particular company. You were always you were always out there yourself. Is that is that a, a trust thing? You only trusted yourself? 
Yes, I only trust myself, which may be maybe a control thing, you know, as I look back. But well, the thing was, you know, when you so when you're self-employed like that, you never know when your next day's work's coming. So you never like to refuse anything if you possibly can, you know. It will be nothing for a promotions girl to do perhaps two jobs in a day, you know, to because you always need to be looking for the next thing because this is a good tip. Nothing lasts forever. Now, it's really interesting you say that because I saw a quote from you suggesting that um, perhaps too many young entrepreneurs think that success will come quickly, that they don't appreciate that these things take time. Is that an issue? Well, I, I think so, because I, you know, I go to university, I speak to young people and I've got to tell you, I am so impressed by the level of knowledge and, and what they do, you know, because all I, I was a back of an envelope, you know, and, and I, I'm so impressed. But I think they look at all the tech uh, companies and see people making all these billions and they think they can do it by the time they're 20. Well, you know, some might get lucky. Um, but some will do it and then crash and burn. What I did with my career, it was a steady build. You know, I worked hard all the time. But maybe if I had the university education, I could have done it quicker. But my experience tells me now when I, you know, I've, I've had business advisors in, actually, you know what? It, it's all theory. They haven't actually done it. So, you know. Yeah. It, I understand. I, I mean, because you, you know, you've 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 described exactly how your career progressed, and and I know that during a lot of that time, you're effectively working out the back of a at the back of your car. Um, is that you know do do you wonder about people who are, are trying uh, to start their careers now and not quite willing to get their hands dirty as you did? I do, I, because I tell you what, with, through all of my businesses, I could do every job in that organization. When I had Saint-Tropez, I would sometimes go down and, and stand on the packing bench and pack with them. And, you know, and then I knew how long it would take to do a job, you know, and, and if there was a problem, I could go and see for myself. You know, I always say, you can't kid a kidder. And <laughs> I'm a salesperson, you know, and we all sell in some way or another. And if you're standing on the production line and you say, oh, this is very difficult because it's, it's this, this and this, you know, well, I'll go down and just check it out myself. Thank you very much. You know, indeed. So, I, you know, it gives you more control. I think. Another thing that you had great success with is um, is using or creating headlines through the celebrities who 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 you did business with. You have Victoria Beckham's, your Cat Daly's, at least one of the royals. And um, in these days of Instagram influencers and the like. How, how do you feel about celebrity endorsements? Is it is it a business model that you, you would use again if you were starting now? Yeah, it's imperative, really. Um, it's more difficult now because I think I was the first person to, to use celebrities in that way. Because, you know, in all that time, it probably won't mean so much to, to the students because it's such a long time ago. But I never advertised. I did trade press, but I never advertised in, in any of the magazines, it was all PR. And I've had, um, I had a double page spread in the Daily Mail. I had a full page in the Standard or a double page spread in the Guardian, the Times, 
you know, everywhere. I, I, there's not a publication or a tele television channel, I don't think, that I wasn't on there as the expert, you know. So it was phenomenal. But the, the thing is that when you take on a celebrity, I used to tan them for nothing, you see. I used to go to their homes and tan them. And I used to say, well, you can pay me if you like. Otherwise, if you don't mind, if I mention that you use it, I'll never say anything bad. But if, if you're happy with that, and they'd say that's fine. And then, of course, they would in turn write about me. I mean, a few of their books, you know, which is nice. Um, but you, nowadays, they have to get sign off. And that's so important because I was one to one. You see, it was easy for me as the owner of the company. But because uh, once, you, but the problem is, once you, if you don't get sign off, the American stars will certainly come back and try and sue, which we we did have. But that's one for another day. But that was nothing to do with me. That came from America. But you do have to be careful. But of course, the celebrities now are getting quite canny. They realise that their name is worth money. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. but through the influencers, yes, I would use influencers. Yeah, okay. Um, another thing is that you've touched upon in, uh, as you've been talking there is, is how you were um, often a, a lone woman in a man's world. Now, I know that um, in recent years you've, you've um, well, we, we, we met when uh, you were given a Lifetime Achievement Award at uh, the Nottingham Business Woman That's of the Year right. ceremony in, 20, in 2017. Now, do you think that it's easier for young business women today than it was for you when you were building your career? Yes, I, absolutely, I do. I, remember that, that in our day, we always thought a doctor was a man, didn't we? Mm. Always. And now that's not the assumption at all. And uh, certainly, I know with my son, he he isn't surprised if it's a woman who's in charge of the company at all. And uh, so it's leaps and bounds better now. Still harder. I think women still have to work harder than men. And I see it now in these Zoom meetings. I can't tell you, you know, the men will be always first to speak up. Other women will sit back and not say much until you can't bear it any longer and then you have to speak. But men are always... A woman will always, you know, rush in. Sorry, I'm late. You know, I've, I've, you know, I've had this. I'm, you know, you'll never hear a man do that. Man will walk into the meeting and sit down. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's that's the difference, you know. So I think we women just need to push ourselves a bit more. Okay. I mean, you 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 said at one point. I think again, I read um, that you were throughout your career. All you were trying to do was was look after your son and pay the mortgage. Um, is that, is that really that was the, what was just driving you? Well, it was really because I got, to di I got divorced when, uh, oh, crikey, um, Lloyd was about 12, I think. And uh, he was going to the high school, so there was school fees and the mortgage. And, you know, I just had to be able to cover that and more because, you know, I, I like nice things. And so, yeah, I really but then you should i say that yeah you're right I, you shouldn't do everything just for the money i enjoyed what i did but what what pressures do is to focus the mind um if you were to offer one final single piece of advice to 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 uh, i don't know the young people who are graduating from Nottingham business school for example this year um they're looking to follow you to uh, perhaps um, uh, in some way mark, match your achievements. What would that advice be? Trust your gut. Um, love your product or service. 
tell everyone about it, have fun and success will follow. So that's fun, trust in your gut and know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. But, you know, never underestimate your gut. If your gut isn't happy, don't do it because there's a reason for that, you know. Judy Narker, thank you very, very much for being our guest on the Not In A Business School Business Leaders Podcast. It's my pleasure. Lovely to talk to you. If you enjoyed this episode, then why not check out some of the others that are also available, including those with former banking executive Robin Fole, Rally's MD Lee Kidger, and the billion pound procurement man, Jonathan Sims. The Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast is produced for Nottingham Trent University by Celtic Tiger Productions. Your presenter was Mike Sassy and your producer was John Collins.